If you will, turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah, the seventh chapter. I've noticed that throughout the Bible, sometimes things happen that are so important that God takes care of them himself. And this is one of those times. Isaiah 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Is this what your house looks like? The perfect Christmas. We like the idea of a perfect Christmas, don't we? Everything just so, everything in its place, the fire is lit. Even there's a dog here, you can barely see it here, but uh, just quietly hanging out there. That's what Christmas looks like until the grandkids show up. (laughs) Then that perfect environment that you had, well, it gets torn up in about five minutes. But this time of year, we oftentimes like to think, and it's not bad to think of the wonderful things and to be thankful for how God has blessed us, to spend time with family, to be able to give some things to each other. Uh, Those are good things. But sometimes it's this time of year or or any time of year that we tend to turn a blind eye, if you will, to the challenges happening on the global scene. And I don't mean to, to bring us backwards, if you will, but the reality remains that in this world, we're in need of a Savior. There's a lot of things going on in this world. And I don't need to remind you, the news reminds us all the time of the Hamas terror attack and all that went on there and and the many multiples that were raped multiple times and, and, you know, children being executed in front of their parents and vice versa. I mean, these horrible atrocities. We don't even like to hear them. We don't like anything mentioned of them. People trying to escape and, and just horrible, horrific things taking place in our world. Uh, And then, of course, the war that has ensued and all of the the things that are involved with war, the death and the loss of life. And, uh, you know, the devil just delights in this, doesn't he? And our politicians go back and forth arguing how to best deal with the crisis and what needs to be done and the protests and, and on and on it goes, as if to think that human beings can really provide the solutions that this world has. We have the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine going on almost two years now. Uh, largest attack on a European country since World War II. Estimated caused tens of thousands of Ukrainian civilian casualties, hundreds of thousands of military casualties, and it goes on. When is this going to end? What is the exit strategy there? There was a mass shooting uh, less than two months ago up in Maine. Maybe you heard about that too. 18 people killed, 13 injured. This is the world that we live in, unfortunately. And, of course, wildfires every year and, and then inflation. Are you feeling the effects of inflation? I imagine that you are. What about health challenges? I know many in this congregation, we don't have to look too far outside out there to know we have some major challenges right here at home as health challenges strike and cause all kinds of stress and, and complications to life. As if life wasn't challenging enough, now there is this diagnosis. And so you're facing that. Not to mention broken relationships. 
There's a host of relationships that are important to you, important to me, and those take time and investment and all of those things. But what happens when one of those relationships is not what it should be? What happens when somebody says, I don't want you in my life anymore? Whether it's a child, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a parent, who knows? Those can weigh heavy on an individual as well. And so a case could be made that this world, even though we have bright spots, and I think it's a good thing to celebrate the bright spots, but there's a lot of darkness in this world too. We could put up a lot more slides. We could talk about a lot of other things that are dark in this world. But this morning I want to stop and think for just one second because I believe it's noteworthy that the clearest promises of the Messiah have been given in the darkest hours of earth's history. Anytime, every time this world was in a dark place, there has been a reminder, the Messiah is coming. And now we're looking back, the Messiah has come. But I want to look at that this morning. What does that mean for us today in a dark time in earth's history? What does that mean? Going all the way back to the fall, when our first parents sinned, can you imagine the weight of that sin to be cast out rebels could no longer stay in the garden in the presence of God no they had to leave they must go forth to till the ground for themselves with sweat and toil and bugs but before they left there fell upon their ears the prophecy of the deliverer who would be born. And we might just glance right across this without truly recognizing, but it says, the seed of the woman, Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman shall bruise the serpent's head. How bright shone that promise, I imagine, surrounding all of the gloom of having to leave this perfect place. Here is a promise amid their labor and sorrow. Yes, in the darkest hours of history, we find the clearest promises of the Messiah. You remember when Israel was in Egypt? Talk about bondage, slavery, mistreatment. When many plagues had been wrought for the purpose of God's people being set free, but seemingly without success. It was then, in the darkest of times, that Israel saw the Messiah set before them in the form of a lamb. That was the command. Take a lamb without blemish and kill, slay this lamb. And the blood was to be put where? Over the doorposts of the house. Exodus 12, verse 13. Now the blood shall be a sign for you. We hear that phrase this time of year. It shall be a sign unto you. The babe will be wrapped. But no, this is a little bit different. Now the blood shall be a sign for you. And when you see the blood, I will pass over you. Again, a reference, a sign, a hint a prophecy that Jesus will come. 
And his blood will be the salvation of mankind. In the darkest hours of history, we find the clearest promises of the Messiah. I think of another dark time, spoken of in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 1, it says, Woe to the crown of pride, to the drunkards of Ephraim, to those who are overcome with wine. Who is this referring to? Let's just keep reading. Verse 7, the priests and the prophet have erred through intoxicating drink. They are swallowed up by wine. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scornful men who rule this people who are in Jerusalem. Because you have said, we have made a covenant with death, and with hell we are at agreement. For we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood we have hid ourselves. Stop and think about that. The covenant with the Lord is a covenant that leads to life. But here, in their drunkenness and lies and falsehoods that are ruling the hour at that very time, they are making a covenant with death, and with hell we have made an agreement. But in the midst of that dark time in Jerusalem with God's people among the prophet and the priests, the Lord proclaims that the Messiah would come and would be the sure foundation. Look at this. Verse 16, therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation. Who is this stone? A tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. When was this pronounced? It was pronounced when the foundation of society in Israel was rotting away was filled with iniquity when his cornerstone was oppression. How about now? How is our foundation? What is society standing upon? Is it again a time that we need a sure foundation, a precious cornerstone? But in the midst of this apostasy, in the darkest hours of history, we find the clearest promises of the Messiah. We could leave that behind. We could jump to Jeremiah. This picture doesn't look much better. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel against the shepherds who feed my people, you have scattered my flock, driven them away, and not attended to them. Shepherds, pastors, we could say, destroying and separating and scattering God's sheep, his people, when they should have been giving them friendly care and concern. But here we find that it's the shepherds, the pastors, that are the worst enemies of God's people. These are dark times. That's verse 1 and 2 of Jeremiah 23. But verse 5 says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. Friends, in the darkest hours of history, we find the clearest promises of the Messiah. 
We see the very same idea echoed in Ezekiel as well. Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 2 and 3. Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourself with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost. But with force and cruelty you have ruled them. Have mercy. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. They became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth. And no one was seeking or searching for them. Dark time. But again, in verse 23 of this chapter, I will establish one shepherd over them. And he shall feed them, my servant David. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. Again, in the midst of darkness, we find this passage of messianic hope. A prediction about the new Davidic shepherd who would take care of God's people, pasture them, rule over them as a prince. The good shepherd will make a covenant of peace with them and provide land and safety and blessing. Yes, in the darkest hours of history, we find the clearest promises of the Messiah. Friends, in the worst of times, we need to preach Christ. We need to talk of our Messiah. We need to look to Christ, the only answer to this world's problems. And Jesus, there's a remedy for the direct, or sorry, the direst of circumstances and a rescue from the darkest of despair. And that's why over and over and over we see reminding the people in the scriptures in the darkest hour, Messiah's coming. Messiah's coming. And in a similar way, on the other side, we say Jesus is coming again. He's coming again. In the book of Isaiah, we find the evil, wicked, adulterous king Ahaz. His sins and failure to heed God's warnings led to divine judgment upon Judah. And in the form of invasion by two kings that were stronger than he was, God tells him to ask for a sign that God might build his faith. Ask me to do something, ask for a sign. But Ahaz wants nothing to do with God, nor does he want anything that will build his faith in God. And so rather, he chooses to place his trust in the Assyrians and other alliances with people, with humans. But the Lord gave Ahaz a sign in spite of himself for the encouragement of those who would remain faithful. In the years of crisis that lay ahead, God saw fit to provide assurance that in spite of this wicked king, in spite of this dark chapter in the experience of God's people, he would be with them. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name 
Emmanuel. This vision was the light of the age of Ahaz, but it isn't just for that time. It is God's comfort to troubled hearts in all ages. Emmanuel is hope for sinners, and it is the joy of saints. Emmanuel, God with us. Yes, in the darkest hours of history, we find the clearest promises of the Messiah. And in the course of time, the promise became a reality. God's people still oppressed under the Romans, darkness still covering the land, oppression and slavery, mistreatment was the norm, entertainment craze, sex-jaded, morally twisted society was full of darkness. But Galatians 4.4 says, When the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son. And so in the darkest hours of history, we find the promise and now the fulfillment of the Messiah. If any one of you is in a dreary land this morning, walking through a dark chapter, let the Emmanuel cast light and life into your story. Think about this. If the Lord had meant to destroy us, He would not have assumed our nature. If he had not been moved with mighty love to the guilty race, he never would have taken upon himself our flesh and blood. It is a miracle of miracles that the infinite should become an infant. That the uncontainable God of the universe should now be wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. He didn't take on the nature of angels, even though that would have been a tremendous stoop for deity, but he descended even lower. He took on him the seed of Abraham. Think about that. Charles Spurgeon wrote it this way. It is not in the power of human lips to speak out all the comfort which this one sign contains. If any troubled soul will look believingly at God in human flesh, he must take heart of hope. And he continues to write, the birth of Jesus is the proof of the good will of God to men. He says, I'm unable to conceive of proof more sure. He would not have come here to be born among men, to live among them, to suffer, to die for them, if he had been slow to pardon or unwilling to save. Oh, despairing soul, does not Emmanuel, God with us, make it hard to doubt the mercy of the Lord? Here you see how compassionate he is, how sympathetic he can be. Yes, how near of kin he has become. He is God, but he is God with us. He is bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh. Question, why has he come down to us? Answer, so that we can come up to later be with him. Question, why has he taken our nature in its sorrow? Answer, so that we may be partakers of the divine nature in righteousness and holiness. Friends, this is incredibly good news. 
Jesus came down, not to thrust us lower, but to lift us to heights of perfectness and glory. Oh, that the Holy Spirit would convey to each one of us here the mercy and the grace and the love and the hope that shines through the incarnation. The angels got it. In fact, they probably couldn't wait to sing. Let us sing, let us sing. We have to sing. We have to tell them that Christ Jesus is God with you, with us, with humanity. And yes, Emmanuel means God with us. But it means so much more. Emmanuel means God is for us. Emmanuel means God is merciful. Emmanuel means the entire Godhead is on our side. Do you know what else it means? It means if the entire Godhead is on our side, Emmanuel also means that it brings absolute terror for the hosts of hell. Because with this curse of sin that we have brought upon ourselves, Emmanuel means the impossible is now possible. Because that sin, which nothing else could remove, is blotted out by the blood of Emmanuel. Friends, God with us means everything to us. We can't do this without God. With us, in us, through us, we need him. Not just in part, but in full. And because of Emmanuel, we have hope. We have hope for the past, for the present, and for the future. Hope for our past, that our sins can be forgiven. Praise the Lord. Hope for our present that God is with us in our current struggles today. Praise the Lord. And hope for our future that we can live with him for eternity. That a better day is coming. Yes, Emmanuel gives us hope. But some here might say today, yes, but how are you so sure that Emmanuel is Jesus? Okay, let's turn to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. I have it here on the screen for you. Just to bring us into the story, after his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. And then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Verse 20, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name what? Jesus. For he will save his people in their sins, from their sins. And so we have, you shall call his name Jesus. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with a child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So Jesus is Emmanuel. Emmanuel is Jesus. The Savior 
is God with us. The Savior is God for us. And a God for us is sure to save us. God is on our side. God is on your side. And another question I have for you, where did Jesus reside? I know he was all over the place, but there was still a place I think he considered home, even when he was in the midst of his ministry, where he spent much of his time. We read here in Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 to 14, Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea. If you've taken any tour there in the Holy Land, they'll say this is essentially was home base for Jesus. He came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in what? Darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. Friends, Jesus came to the people who sat in darkness. He came to those specifically in the shadow of death. You could say our Lord made his home in the darkest parts. Why? Because he came that, we might sh- that he might show them a great and marvelous light. Amen. And after Jesus' ministry, if we were to go back and tour the region, you couldn't travel a half mile without hearing story after story after story. Perhaps you'd meet a blind man who would tell you all about how Jesus restored his sight. You would meet a woman who was deathly sick, but no, she was raised up from her fever. You would walk next to a paralytic. You would walk next to a paralytic, a former paralytic who Jesus had made whole. You would talk to multitudes who heard Jesus preach by the sea, the Sermon on the Mount, and how their hearts danced for joy, and how they would just tell you, never been the same again. You'd hear others say, we heard him speak to our hearts, but then he fed us with barley loaves and fish. Friends, a community once in darkness, but now enlightened by the presence of of Jesus and they're never the same never the same and that's the beautiful part about light darkness can't exist in the presence of light Jesus you know in Jesus is resplendent glory In Jesus, we are rescued. In Jesus, we are rebuilt. 
In Jesus, we are reconciled. In Jesus, we are reborn. In Jesus, there is refuge. In Jesus, there is a remedy. In Jesus, we have the rock of ages. In Jesus, we have the revealer of truth. In Jesus, we have a representative. In Jesus are the riches of his grace. In Jesus, we find rest. In Jesus, we find relief. In Jesus, there is redemption. In Jesus, there is reassurance. In Jesus, there is righteousness. In Jesus, there is revival. In Jesus, there is restoration. And in Jesus, there is resurrection power. In Jesus, darkness can't reside any longer because the light has come. I'm not sure if any of you watched the tribute service for Rosalind Carter, the former First Lady of the United States. She and President Carter married 77 years. It was streamed, and many of the world was watching, taking place there at the Glen Memorial United Methodist Church on the campus of Emory University. They're actually Baptist, and they have a small Baptist church where he would teach Sunday school every week. Some of you may have gone to see him there, not far outside of Atlanta, Georgia. But on Tuesday, November 28, people gathered to pay, pay tribute to Mrs. Carter. Jason Carter, the grandson, of, uh, gave some remarks at the service. And the first thing he says is, thank you for all the music. He said, that meant so much to my grandmother. She loved music. And then he welcomes all those that are there. And there's quite a list of people that are there. And so he starts down to his list. He says, Governor and First Lady Kemp, thank you. Senators Warnock and Assaw, thank you. Congress people, Mayor Dickens, thank you all. And again, a spe special thank you, Secretary Clinton, Mrs. Bush, Mrs. Obama, Mrs. Trump, and Dr. Biden. Thank you all for coming and acknowledging this remarkable sisterhood, he says, that you share with my grandmother. Thank you all for the leadership that you provided for our country and for the world, he says. And then he says something pretty clever. Secretary Clinton and Dr. Biden, we also welcome your lovely husbands. But the part about the, the service that was touching to me or, or interesting to me is that the whole place is standing and they wheel in past president Jimmy Carter, 99 years old, on hospice. Doctor comes with him, and everybody is recognizing this old man, past president, who's coming to give tribute to his wife. And as he comes in, there's a beautiful piano piece being played. And you know what the song was? Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, there's just something about that name. Master, Savior, Jesus, like the fragrance after the rain. But it's this one line that catches you. It's not being sung, it's just being played on the piano. But you know the line I'm talking about. Jesus, 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 let all heaven and earth proclaim. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away. But there's something about that name. And you can say, well, was that planned? Was that just by accident? Friends, anything that has to do with anything presidential is planned down to the tooth. 
Don't tell me it was an accident that that song was played. And Jimmy Carter, I like to think in his humility or maybe his family, they said, this is the song we're going to play. And, and, and let's face it. Kings and kingdoms have their place. Presidents and civic leaders have their place. But the reality is, they all pass away. How many past presidents are left? How many past kings are left? And yes, they have influence. Yes, they do things and they wave the scepter and they have power and they have following and, and all of this, but they all pass away. Their entourage and the vehicles and, and their expensive suits and cufflinks, it all passes away. But there's something in that name, Jesus. Amen. Jesus. Jesus. And friends, the reality is that this world is facing significant problems and there is no president, past or future, that will be able to solve them. Only Jesus can solve the problems. And thankfully, he has passed away, but he is resurrected back into newness of life and he is alive today. And he's coming again very soon to take us home. And we know before all of that is done and complete that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Think about that. Everyone, every knee across this entire planet, that means the most wicked person you can imagine, they will bow. And they, too, will confess that Jesus is Lord. And that's the one we speak of this time of year. Jesus. He's wonderful. He's counselor. He's mighty God. He's the everlasting Father. He is the Prince of Peace. And so Galilee, while it was plundered and despoiled and despised, sorrowful, ignorant, sitting in darkness, in the shadow of death, sounds too much like our world today. But by and by, Galilee becomes glorious because of him who is Emmanuel. And if you're in the dark today, I pray that Jesus may come to you and work miracles in your life. To touch you, to heal you, to feed you, to teach you, to lavish his love upon you, and to give you a hope and a future. That though you were once unhappy and alone, that you will be the happiest of all mortal men and women. Why? Because of Jesus. There's something in that name. And he has come that we might have life and might have it more abundantly. And so friends, remember, in the darkest hours of history, we cling to Emmanuel, God with us, the light of the world. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Is given. So the question is, will you receive him? He's given. The gift is there. Will you receive him? Shall we not accept this gift of gifts and love him because he first loved us? Will you take freely what God freely gives? Some might be saying, oh, I wish I had a sign that I might be sure. 
Friends, what sign do you want beyond the gift of God? The birth of Jesus. So away with demands. The word of God bids you believe and live. And the moment you believe in Jesus, he is yours. Unto me a child is born. Unto me a son is given. Just accept it. Will you accept the gift of Jesus today? Will you allow Jesus to be the king of your heart today? Will you allow Jesus to rescue you from the darkness and shadow of death today? Go worship at Emmanuel's feet. See in his face what wonders meet. Faith is too narrow to express his worth, his grace, his righteousness. For our conclusion here, O little town of Bethlehem, to notice the fourth verse, O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell, O come to us, abide with us, O Lord Emmanuel. May that be our prayer today. Dear Heavenly Father, that is the simple plea of our hearts today. It is our heart's desire that you will take away our sin, that you will enter in, that you will transform our lives. And we recognize this morning that more than anything else, not only this world, this country, this community, Lord, it's me. I need God not just with us, I need God with me. I need you in my heart and in my life and my soul. You are the only hope for this world. May we cling to you this Christmas season as the gift above all gifts is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.